All right, guys, welcome to the State of Legacy podcast. This is Sydney. This is David. And this is Usby. And thanks, guys, for doing another week or a couple weeks of uh, us holding out on you doing a podcast. We're here to play and uh, talk about Legacy. Yo, this is like episode number 10. This is like the season finale. It's like a milestone. It really is. And we're going to stop after this. I'm just fucking with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to keep going. And then as long as there's more legacy to talk about and play, we're going to be keep on casting. Yeah. Uh, speaking of more legacy to play, uh, Japan had a really sweet tournament recently. Uh, they called it the Eternal Party. Uh, there was a little over 200 players. And... Uh, sure, Elves won it, but like a deck close to my heart kind of got second. Uh, Storm managed to get second. Um, you want to talk about this what one? That, deck? What did that deck look like? Uh, it, it looked like a pretty traditional uh, ant list. It did have three wish claws, a little more than extra. Uh, I do really like that they did the two island and one underground sea. Combo, uh, that's something I ran pretty commonly. Um, instead of running one fluster, one veil, they ran double fluster. So apparently they were a little more focused on uh, countering something that would be opposed to them. Wait, before you get too forward into this, why is the island or the basic land count up something that you like? Okay, so the double island versus the double C. Uh, the double island, I feel, is better in a rug-type meta with uh, wastelands and once in a blue moon and stifles interrupting you. You really want to get your blue mana online turn one and have that working really well. So, as you can see, his fetches, he has the four polluted deltas and three misties. So he's really focused on getting some kind of blue mana on turn one ready to go. Um, the non-blue lands is just one bayou and Trop. No, one swamp. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So he has a really good chance on getting that blue online as quick as possible. And yeah, once you get the blue online, you can kind of cantrip into whichever other color you need, whether it's green or black. But I just feel like getting that initial blue online is very important on progressing the game state forward. And he went with double fluster instead of uh, one fluster, one veil. I feel the one veil in the main board is kind of difficult to pull off because you need to pull out a dual land for it. So if you're not worrying about any dual lands... For this interaction, yeah, game one, he has zero green cards in the main deck. So he can kind of just go island, island, and then fetch the swamp, turn three, and go for the kill. So it's just kind of like a clean way of getting around a wasteland. Uh, the sideboard seems pretty standard. Um, he does have an assassin's trophy, which I found a little interesting, and a rebuild instead of a Hercules recall. But... I guess you can cycle it away, so you kind of have a little extra there. And the Assassin's Trophy, I'm pretty sure it's target opponent. Maybe he could kind of do it on his own thing. Uh, yeah, just go ahead and click on it. Yeah, it's only an opponent controls. But the Assassin's Trophy, I think, is there for like the Urza deck or whatnot. 
so you can get rid of the Karn or something higher than a 3-drop. But yeah, I'm pretty happy uh, Storm managed to take second in a 213-player tournament where I haven't seen Storm pop up too often lately, so... Can I'm, I ask you this? Like, so instead of playing, you play with one talisman or no talismans? What is the the three the up up to three count? Like, what does that do for this player? So normally, I see a two count, which I myself I I kind of prefer zero. I prefer the extra pass in flames than a dark petition because it just gives your opponent a extra way to interact with you. With storm, you kind of want your opponent's cards to be all dead. So creature removal is a dead card, and any permanent removal should be a dead card as well. But Wishclaw makes that permanent removal an active card. So I personally rather run zero talismans, so they can't use their main deck decay against anything of mine. But he went ahead and used the talismans, which the talisman is not bad. The Wishclaw is a instant speed tutor if it is on your turn yeah. yeah so for two mana he can fluster any hate you have towards his combo and with it being instant speed he can go for like an infernal tutor with led line and then once he cracks the led and you go for the force of will on the infernal tutor with him being hellbent and he still has a wish claw in play. He could fluster you for two mana. Yeah, I gotta talk about like this art. This art is dope on the wish claw cast. Oh, definitely. A little monkey paw. Yeah, it's a little decrepit little like like you said, monkey paw in this like looks like a bog witch's hand, ready to just like pull it out and whiff out a win. For real, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. yeah, I never really looked at the art, but like clicking on it and actually able to see the art. Without uh, having to play against it, makes me appreciate the the art way much more. Yeah, it's a sweet card. But yeah, I'm kind of just happy Storm made an appearance. Yeah. Uh, I normally see the fluster split into one fluster, one veil with the two wish claws, but he kind of just went heavy into that, and Skula made an appearance. Overall, Elves did win the tournament. Which congrats, Elves! It's been making a comeback. It's good against Rug Delver. Um, I see he's running Once Upon a Time, which, that's a nice addition to the deck. Um, some Regal Force. It's, it's just a one of Regal Force. Not bad. You draw a card for each green creature you control, and that's, that's definitely not bad. If your, uh, Crater Hoof goes away, he's only running one Crater Hoof instead of the two. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I get it, like, you're just only one and one. And the Regal Force is able to, like, refill your hand. Let's say your Crater Foot's removed or, like, not a viable option. You can just re-up and you can swarm the board with uh, having Gaius Cradle next turn to, and, like, tap for so much mana. Yeah. This is definitely, like, a good way of forcing that mid-game type thing instead of going for the full-out kill. Yeah, and regardless, it's still a 5-5, five five, so it, it is still, like... A four-turn clock if, if, like, there's no board to block this guy. Yeah, it definitely does work. But, yeah, uh, to finish up the top eight, uh, third and fourth, we had Death and Taxes and Dragon Stompy. Um, 
No, never mind, not Dragon Stompy. I'm sorry. This looks more like a World Gorger Dragon combo inside of a Snoko deck. Yeah, I don't know why they call it Dragon. I mean, you do have the World Gorger Dragon, but... I would, I'd rather call it like World Gorger than just Dragon, because like you read the title, you thought it was just Dragon. Yeah, instantly thought Stompy, but... That's a pretty cool list. You got the Entombs in there. You got everything to make it Snowco. Four Abrupt Decays. You can make the game go nice and long. And the Anime Deads. I'm pretty sure Anime Dead can also target your opponent's creatures. Go ahead and click on that really quick. Uh, Enchant a creature in a graveyard, so anything in the yard. Yeah, so yeah, you decay one of their creatures. You can revive for value. That's not bad. Um, then the rest of the tournament, 5 through 8, we got Death Shadow, Double Hogak, and a Junk deck. I really want to see what this Junk deck is. It's a Reliquary deck? Yeah, it's got to be. There's three Knights of the Reliquary. So I guess you could call it Junk, but it's really just uh, Maverick, right? Which is Junk. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same tried and true. You got the the swords of Plyosaur shares, the knights, the mothers, the nobles, a plague engineer, a, a revenue excavator just for value. Uh, they're playing two skyclave vibrations uh, just to like <clears throat> remove any pesky permanent uh, ooze to get rid of any yard threats, and then tireless tracker for value. The two assassins trophies, the zenith suite, which is the four of. And and two of Sylvan Library. It seems like Sylvan Library is getting like hot, hot tracked into main deck tier one decks. Well, Sylvan Library is a great card, but also like this deck, it has, I mean, it has answers for everything. And then, like, I don't know, this deck is a toolbox deck through and through. But yeah, like Sylvan Library is perfect for a deck that plays green. Where you don't have brainstorm, so you can turn one or turn two of some library. They draw into multiple answers, but yeah, this deck is pretty solid. And it has trophies, GSEs, once upon a times, swords of posture, so like it's mul- it's activating on multiple axes, so it's like a pretty solid deck. I like this. Even ha- even has that little plague engineer there for my goblins. Yeah, in in the main deck. I will like to do a nod to the the Felidar Retreat in the sideboard. Usually seen in control deck Snowco, saying that like if we're gonna play late game, I can get more lands than you can, and I can make big cats. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, each landfall you get one of those triggers, uh, two two cat or plus one plus one on each creature you control, and they gain vigilance. Ooh, that is pretty pretty good. I can't complain about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah like Feldar. Yeah, and think about that Knight of Reliquary just bringing back a fetch land. This deck uh, is the epitome of a, like a drunk junk drawer in your house. For real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to see if the, the two top-aiding Hogak lists are different. Uh, this one plays Heatron Crap. So the it just listed as 5 through 8. It doesn't say if it's 7th, 6th, or 5th. It's just 5 through 8 Hogak... The, Heater capture typical. Yeah, that's a nice and normal list. Is this one any different? The the top ranking player. I mean, it has a dark blast. It kind of just changes around a couple numbers, but it seems like it's a pretty standard list as well. 
Oh, so this one's playing. This one. Dark Blast and an Anger. Yeah, are the, the differences. The lower seeded player actually is playing careful study four of, as opposed to the higher seed players not playing careful study. Yeah, he's on the faithless looting plane instead. Let's see. So other spells, four altars, four bridges. This is a split of three and three, able to squeeze in a couple more careful studies to remove an altar and a bridge. I get it. Like it's great. Uh, able to like dig more and dump more to get rid of your uh, hogax and dead vines in the yard to be able to like recast them. Yeah, but I think the flashback on the faithless looting is what got him in that higher seed. Yeah, so like I, I really do like watching the Japanese players because they do take high risks and more leniency in seeing what mag future mag magic legacy can be. Uh, as opposed to a lot of the American players, they just play like stock builds, and yeah, we don't get to see a lot of those experimental builds. I definitely see that a lot. Uh, when we had the pleasure of playing in Japan, we definitely saw a little, not necessarily crazy lists, but like the same ideas brewed in a different style. So to me, I see this like when you're playing in across the seas in Paper Magic, was it difficult to play? Obviously, when English was a second language. I mean, magic in itself is its own language. So, when you sit down uh, with an opponent that doesn't share a language with you, just through the sheer art of body language and just playing cards, you can communicate with that player. And I played with players from Germany, from Japan, from just all, all around the world. And you still share smiles, you still share laughs, but you can't even communicate, hey, what did you draw or something. You, it's just a simple hello, good luck, and you go for it. But you, just in the sheer language of magic, you can communicate like, hey, that was a really funny move. Oh, wow, I'm surprised you expected that or haha, I got you. And that really does convey in just the art of magic. Yeah, and I think with the culture of the, the uh, in Japan, there isn't like I got you edge players trying to nickel and dime, saying hey you misplayed here. You understood that those players are playing top level, and whatever they're playing is at the top level. So it's not like they're going to make a mistake. So you give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I feel that definitely. So like with these high level players in in like. Japan and across the world it talks more about like top level play and will wizards continue to support top level play and legacy in the flavor of GPs do you think there's going to be any more future GPs for legacy uh, that's a good question um, I mean I don't know if there's going to be it's tough like what does the future of legacy look like in terms of like high level events you know I, I know we have like the big events that Jeremy is playing with the 100k's and stuff yeah but I don't know like I mean is it is it like uh does it incentivize wizards to have legacy events that are big probably not but there's a huge demographic that want to play a legacy event so the market is there so it's a weird dynamic that we have right now. Like we have people that want to play legacy, 
But we have a company that doesn't want to support it. That's a, it's such a weird dynamic, right? I think if we kind of like look back into the history of GPs in general, I think they were better ran when it was separate companies running certain GPs. Like the Star City, New Jersey GP was advertised everywhere. Anywhere you looked about Magic, you saw a promotion for the New Jersey Legacy GP. And that was one of the highest attending Legacy GPs out there. So with Wizards kind of consolidating into just one company running all the GPs, it created this monopoly that they didn't have to compete with anyone else. So they didn't have to put on a great big show for said GPs. So hold on, here's the thing. Every Lacey GP has been very well attended, to yeah. say the least, yeah, right? Definitely. Every Legacy GP has been well attended. So like Wizards doesn't have to do shit to have a huge turnout. So, what is the point in them, like, not having Lacey GPs? I mean, I don't know. That's a tough one to answer. But, like, also, what's the point of them having a Legacy GP? Legacy players don't necessarily buy packs of the current printing product. So, it's not really perpetuating profits in any way other than selling an entry fee. Yeah, I know I agree with it. Like I feel that the only time or the only way Wizards or Watsy will take the mantle of like creating these GPs for legacy players is if they can realize that legacy and these eternal formats are where naturally like law lifelong like or magic players will go to. Because eventually mm. once you play standard long enough you will realize these cards will lose their value once standard rotates out, and you'll buy into eternal formats, either being modern, legacy, or vintage. And hopefully, if they can showcase these eternal formats, saying, hey, this magic product has legs, and there's homes for this in these formats that will last years, decades, and please buy into our product because it has decades-long life, so that, like, even if you're not into standard and you grow out of standard, that we still support these cards, these older cards, these cards that have been throughout the magic, the pantheon of magic history. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do that. I feel that, like, I think Grand Prix will eventually become just conventions or magic fests, and they will provide places where we can play these decks in paper with minimal support. But that you can still have that, you know, part of the community, gathering the feeling. gathering feeling as opposed to the competitive nature. Yeah, if that's the case, I hope that local tournaments and international tournaments or promoters out there will make these big events and funnel in these players that are hungry for these eternal formats that are tired of playing, you know, entry-level magic, which is standard. I do really like how Wizards has the Eternal Weekend and that the grand prize is an original piece of art. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I think that's a huge incentive for like legacy and vintage players alike. And 
I think last year in like 2019 or whatnot, they incorporated modern into their eternal weekends. So even if they provide us a really good eternal weekend and they put like a little bit more promotion into it, make it a two day event for each format and kind of drive eternal weekend more so, I'd be okay with seeing zero legacy GPs, but put a lot more focus into each continent having a really sweet eternal weekend experience. Yeah, but then that like also then begs the question of what Watsi did recently in the last few weeks where they, you know, Japan has this huge legacy following where they outright stopped in paper like play. Yeah, I honestly don't know how I feel about that entirely. I feel like Japan in itself handled this pandemic in a very Japanese way. And, like, they handled it very, very well. So they are able to have a gathering of 300 players. And everyone understands we got to be cleanly. We can't touch each other's decks. We got to wear masks. If we're outside having a smoke or something, because, you know, players do that, they're probably six feet apart, and they're just respectable of each other's places, which when me and Espy, we traveled to Japan, everyone's respectable of everyone pre-pandemic. So if a pandemic broke out, like it did, I believe their culture in itself is best equipped to handle this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So an American company that hasn't even really had eyes on how Japan does other than seeing that they have a large tournament, telling them they can't have any more large tournaments, that kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. No, I completely agree with you. Like, And I know you're, you don't want to like bash them too much. I, I, I feel that it was... A failure in their part and realizing their culture and their standards and their quarantine methods uh, are different. Are, are different, and in the, the fact that like they're handling this pandemic way better than a majority of the world, and that their culture is set up to be like if you're sick, you mask yourself because you're respectful of the individual that's across from you or within six feet of you. I feel that Japan was better suited to create these tournaments because they knew how to protect themselves and other people exactly and do this safely and the fact that they just re- not acknowledge that and just said hey no everybody's the same is very um, uh, short-sighted and in not really understanding of their culture yeah but you know it is what it is they decided to uh, uh, ban on paper play with any large uh, tournament play with a gathering of, of that search of 300 people. So, I don't I, I don't know what you think about that, SB. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> I know David hit me up. He's like, hey, man, they, they had 300 people in Japan. Let's go to Japan as soon as we can. Yeah, we were looking at as soon as a visa opens up to get into Japan, which, hey, 2020 Olympics being held in 2021 will be in Japan. Hell yeah, cool. You guys have the Olympics. Uh, I heard you guys might be opening sometime in late April uh, to kind of just see how everything pans out before the Olympics start in June or July. 
uh, I wish you guys luck with that. I hope it works out. Um, I know I will. I'm inviting Sydney and SB to come with me. We're going to come out, check out the Cherry Blossom Festival. We're going to check out the crazy snow levels you guys have in Sapporo. And it'd be nice to play a tournament or two. But we'll see what Watsi has to say about that. Yeah, I think like in our group chat we talked about this and we said... Why does it matter if like Watsi supports these like large events in Japan? Because regardless of the planeswalker points, that's not a factor anymore. Yeah. Doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So like I feel that I, I hope that TOs tournament organizers continue to create mm-hmm. these format or these these tournaments just to support the players and understand that they're like regardless of the these non existence or these non or these frivolous planeswalker points. That we people still want to play in paper, and if we're doing it in a safe, effective way, let them do it. And regardless of your support or not, it's still going to happen. I hope they keep doing that because Japan, I think, is doing a great job of 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 protecting all their citizens and all people that are coming to visit them. Exactly. And and, and play these events. Yeah. Um, yeah, I heard in Japan, if you fly into there, you have to install like a little mobile app. It's going to check your, ask you health questions every day and kind of alert officials if you have any problems. I, I think that's a cool way of approaching the situation. And yeah, I kind of hope the country opens up and we can sling some spells. Yeah, and Japan, keep doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job. Yes. Yeah. So let's get off this political rant. And talk more about legacy and if it's changed, and uh, and talk about the power creep versus te- uh, the question is has technical play and legacy changed versus haymakers? I know SB really asked this question, and I'm just like softballing it to him to see what his thoughts are, so I can like argue sure. against it yeah. or not. Uh, I don't know. Like I feel in the last few years of Magic. Especially Legacy, like, we've had so many powerful cards where, like, if card A resolves, game is over. And, like, Legacy Magic has not been like that. So, it's it's historically been a game of attrition, right? Like, incremental value, incremental wins, and you lead to a fucking point where you can win the game, but, like... Now Magic is like, do I resolve my Oko and do I counter your Oko? Do I start making infinite fucking counter tokens or does Uro run away with the game or does Teferi prevent you from counting ca- catching spells on my turn? Like, Magic has started to become a game where it's just like a series of like very high-powered cards that if you resolve your copy of it... Is the game over from that point? And like the case, the, the case I brought with David yesterday in conversation is like uh, the Karn Echoes deck. Like Karn Karn Echo combo doesn't necessarily have a card that just wins a game, but what that deck, uh, the deck strategy is to create an imbalance hmm. in the game to where it's impossible for an opponent to win. Right, like. So you play an LED in a Narset or a Hole Breacher and you Echo of Aeons and you close up their hand to where they have no cards and you have seven cards in hand. 
doesn't matter where your cards are, but it's better. It, it's the, the, the greater the sum, right? So, I feel like magic is coming to the point where, like, it's just a matter of, like, who resolves their big spells first, and then that's who wins the game, right? Like, you know how I feel, but I want David to chime in on this before I, like, tackle this big thing. Sure, sure, sure. So, my kind of perspective on it is, we we kind of touched on it earlier. Like, Jace the Mind Sculptor kind of got outclassed, and he's no longer a Planeswalker played anymore. But if you look in the old days of Magic, you were saving your Force of Will for Jace the Mind Sculptor. So, if you're now saving your Force of Will for Oko, it's almost a similar type thing. But, yes, Oko does run away with the game a lot quicker than a Jace the Mind Sculptor. And we kind of talked about how, like, combo decks always had that haymaker of, like, if you're not countering this, the combo deck wins and you are done. Um, so, control decks are starting to more and more get said deck, uh, said cards in their cesspool, I guess. But, um, I don't know, like, being a Storm player, I see, like, Dreadhorde Arcanist being a huge, huge card, because it just, it creates such, um... It's a of value. Yeah, it yeah. creates oh, yeah. such value, such card advantage. You can replay each one of your cantrips, and then once you are satisfied with your handful of counter spells, you just replay all your bolts and close the game really quickly. Well, here's the deal: like, is like, Dreadhorde Archetype is better than Snapcaster Mage, which is like an iconic legacy card, super value card. Is Dreadhorde better than Snapcaster? I do think Dreadhorde is better than Snapcaster, but I would compare Dreadhorde more to, like, a young Peasy, a young Pyromancer. As in, it was uh, one of those cards that came out, and at first it didn't really do much. So a Dreadhorde might not do much, it might only have, like, one Ponder to flashback, but as you don't flash... As you don't kill it within the first two turns it's out, it's just going to perpetuate the game in your opponent's snowballs, favor. Snowballs. Yeah, it I, snowballs I, really, really quickly. I completely disagree. Like, the moment I saw Dread Horror Agonist, I, I'm like, way overpowered, way better than Snapcaster, way better than Young PZ. I felt like... Oh, it's definitely better than yeah, both of them. And I, I felt that, like, it would be itself its own powerhouse. It definitely is. Yeah, so the fact that, like... Let's say you only have one ponder, one cantrip in the yard. That just snowballs into another cantrip, another like spell that is impactful for the game. And I 100% agree with you, SP. I think Dreadhorde is way better than Snapcaster. Yeah. Yeah, like 100%. I just don't think that like this this quote-unquote haymaker changes legacy. That uh, changes the the feel of legacy. I, I honestly feel that Legacy is the home for Haymakers. It, it, it is the pantheon for the entire library that is magic. See, and that, that's where the most powerful spells are played. And that is the appeal for Legacy. Because you can play the most powerful spells 
where you don't feel you're you're going to be overrun by Power Nine. So there's legacy to do vintage. I feel legacy. I think vintage should just. I think vintage. I, I, I haven't played vintage in a year. I used to play it's it. Years. Years. We've got to play vintage in years. Yeah, a year and a half, two years. And I feel that, like, Legacy is now, like, taking on the power creep that is, like, slowly going into Standard and integrating the most powerful cards that WotC is creating for Standard for the... I forgot what their little mantra is. The fire. The fire. fire. Their fire thing. Which is produced so many banned cards. Yeah, so, like, I I do feel that, like, WotC's fire mantra... Is like just pushing legacy more and more uh, streamlined, so you can have three drop uh, planeswalkers like Oko, Narset, Teferi that are impactful to the game. They should live in legacy. I mean, it is probably a home for them. Um, kind of the thing we touched on is not on our list of things to talk about, but we have mentioned cards that are legal in modern, but yet are. Elite uh, band in Legacy, and the first one we came up with was Renin Six, but also Underworld Breach and Lazarus are legal. What's Lazarus? That's the ant companion that uh, was like white and black, and it could return a three-drop tournament to the battlefield every turn. No, that's uh, that's not Lazarus. That's uh, uh, are you talking about Loris? Loris, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loris is good modern because like Legacy's a faster format. Yeah, yeah. So like Legacy, you can be reoccurring your Lion's Eye Diamonds, which that's what it was used for. But in and modern, it's just it's, and baubles, yeah. But but here's the thing: like they uh re-edited or eroded the, the companion mechanic. Do you True. see Loris anymore? No, no. Oh, I mean, it's still banned. It's still banned is in Luris Legacy. Is Loris banned? Yes. Yes, yes, it is. I, oh, okay. I looked this up right before the cast. Oh, thank God, yeah. So, it's still banned, but just releasing more and more powerful cards that receive a ban in Legacy, but yet are still legal and modern... I think that kind of shows... I, I guess, like, I'm happy that they're banning the new cards instead of the old cards. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, I guess that's more so my point. So, so I guess it begs the question, like... So, Red and Sex... Red and Six is banned in Legacy pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Is Red and Six more powerful than Oko? I think the extra mana is more powerful than gaining life. I think Oko is just, like, so OP. I, I feel... So, here's the thing, like, I was talking about to you guys, that I think Legacy is the home of Haymakers, and that's why we have sideboards. And Oko and some of the ones that you had mentioned, to Fairy, Narset, and some of the other blue cards that are... Pro- like, and blue is, is, like, OP in Legacy. You got Pyroblast and Red Amount Blast. You got eight cards... In Ooh. red, sure. Okay, that so can, you, like, a one-mana answer to your three-drop Planeswalker. So you're playing a very narrow format, like... It's not narrow. The it, blue no, is the most powerful, like... No, like, it's very narrow in the fact that, like, unless you're playing red to counter these spells... You have like, bills, Summer. Green. 
Veil does not interact with uh, Oko. No, so so here's the thing: is that it like could. Not really. If someone's stealing your permit, you can veil someone. <laughs> it's a blue permit. Yeah, yeah, you can. And if that's like the the guy, like but the game, that's a one more time threat. But that's a, but it just it costs one spell. Uh, it's a one spell to change the game. That is legacy. One spell can change the game. I don't know. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like it wasn't as much so that one spell could change the game. I will agree with you that I feel like Legacy in its, like, prior to two years ago, you could, like, grind it out more. Yeah. So I feel Legacy is now coming up to tempo what Modern was, where, like, one spell would change the entire tide of the game. Yeah. So, sure, I maybe Legacy is now becoming Modern, like, 2.0 or 3.0. But I feel that like these 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 powerful spells have to find a home. I I think yeah they're producing a lot more powerful spells, and as we see more Okos, Dreadhordes, and Veil Summers, and now even Hole Breachers come out, I think just the overall power level will be going up. I think Hole Breacher is a good answer to just like a control deck in yeah. a certain oh, yeah. way. Yeah. Because a control deck has to cantrip a hundred times to find... Their answer, yeah. Their answer to the problem you're presenting. So, Hole Breacher would be the negate to that. I think every color is going to get their answer to something. Yeah. I want to see how Opposition Agent plays out. I haven't seen it too much, but here and there. We've seen some uh, representation of opposition, Opposition Agent, but, like, I don't know, like... The problem is, blue can play every spell. Well, with now, with Astrolabe, sure. But with Astrolabe, blue is capable of casting any spell that is relevant, like they have... But since they can cast any spell, they can only pick certain spells. Correct. So there's limited cyborgs, limited limited 75 of cards. So it becomes this revolving door of like, alright, the top meta is this deck, your cyborg will answer that deck... You might not do very well because there's another deck that can beat your deck that's beating the top one deck, and it becomes this like circle of the best deck. I do. What is the what is the best deck? Rug Delver. No, I uh, sure Rug Delver the is, is the best like percentage winning, but like in that that same realm, like there are there's going to be a deck that can beat Rug Delver. That'll become the best deck. Then there's going to be another deck with better seventy five total seventy five. That beats that deck, and it becomes this whole mishmash of like <gasps> vying for top one, and then a new set comes out, and that is again up upended, and now we have to start again. Yeah, like if they don't ban Oko, <gasps> I think Oko will get outclassed. Yeah, oh, within yeah. the next two three years. Yeah, I and and here's the 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 conundrum is that Legacy was <gasps> the home of investing your capital in cards that you felt that would like last year's I feel that is no longer the case anymore but to argue that point legacy has always been about the real estate yeah it's always about the lands it's always about the lands it's never like sure the Jace the Mind Sculptor was a hundred dollars but it was always about getting your bulks and tundras 
Oh yeah. Oh, Volts, your, tundras, and your fetches, and your forcibles. Your UCs, not tundras, UCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, <laughs> whichever duel you're running, it's legacy's always been about have your real state, have your core spells, and the rest kind of interchange. Yeah. Oh, yes. Cyborg change all the time. Yeah. If you have all the dual lands and fetches and the core blue. You can play Delver of any variant. You can play Miracles of any variant. Now Snowco. It's just the couple new cards. Yeah. I mean, the fact is that, like, I think Legacy is, again, like, <gasps> about real estate. So, like, get your duels. Exactly. And then your powerful spells that are hot in <gasps> Standard Modern will eventually become not hot. And then you can buy into those. And maybe they're not that good. In Legacy, but maybe they will upturn. I mean, what was it? Like, uh, Null Rods were like 15 bucks, now they're $60. Yeah, Null Rod had a nice uptick. Yeah, because now, because now when you have Urza. What's a reserveless card? Well, Urza Echo, it was always a reserveless card. I remember buying, like, Null Rods, I bought, like, three of for, like, a total of 20 bucks. Yeah. Because, like, artifact. Okay, okay, so here's the deal. Like, does it, is it justifiable that, like, A, a reserve this card like no rod should be more money because we have a deck that suffers to it. That is magic. definitely yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. magic. That's always been the case. Surgical was like not reprinted that much, and it was like sixty bucks or something, something ridiculous, and they reprinted it and they started lowering. But that was played in modern. It was played in legacy. So that is magic. Is that like? This game changes Yeah, it's enough. a cycle. Yeah, that some cards will be OP. But, like, here's the thing. Norod no is a card that's, like, very situational. It hits artifacts and shit. But should it be so detrimental to the for- format that, like, it's, like, worthwhile to the fucking format? Like, it's, I, it's I, detrimental I, to specific decks, and that's what a sideboard is. Yeah. You bring in your silver bullets... And you hope you can cantrip or find it in your 75, in your game 2 and 3, that it shuts down your opponent's deck. And hopefully they have a sideboard to either remove it or play around it. So, well, then that's my point. Like, Legacy's, like, now format where, like, I play my silver bullet and I win the game because, because of that. Again, like, and I made that concession earlier that I feel Legacy might start turning into what modern was... A few years back, where it's like you find the silver bullet on the sideboard, and the person outbrained <gasps> you and played around it, or played the spell that to to destroy that. Yeah, uh, I don't know, man. So, do you want Legacy to become Modern 2.0? And, and that's that's what he's doing. I have no control over that. Yeah, I mean, is it becoming modern, or is it becoming a vintage format? A little bit of both. Yeah, you gotta spring a little salt on both of them. Yeah. Regardless, still Legacy is still great. Even though you have some, like, Haymaker cards that make the format not as fun as you would like it, maybe it'll autocorrect in a few years. And again, Legacy is a format that will take time, and we're invested in the, the long term in this format to see that change for the better. Yeah, I... I mean, Death Rite was legal for a long time, and everybody wanted to ban it. And eventually, after yeah, years, it yeah. got banned. It yeah. just takes a longer time. 
It's going to take a minute. I, I bet the format will shift here and there. The power level is definitely creeping up, but I think the core legacy, I think I once heard like legacy defined as the brainstorm format. It's a brainstorm is about like having that consistency. Yeah. So if you have brainstorm legal in the format, you'll always have like the force of will pop up. And if force of will pops up, no combo deck's gonna get too crazy. And sure, the control decks will have their Okos and their Dread Hordes. But overall, I think it'll it'll still be a decent format. Yeah, and even <gasps> against like Brainstorm, you can still play Chalice on one, and that is backbreaking against sure. yeah. one drop cantrip. So there's always something to check in. Exactly. Okay, okay, so playing Devil's Advocate Devil's Advocate. Brainstorm, uh, or Blue Decks play Forcible, and they play for, Forceful Negation. True. So f- the Blue Decks have, the fair Blue Decks have now, uh, encountered a new fucking free Counterspell uh, counter card. The new Counterspell is definitely annoying, but looking deeply into combo versus control... They start with seven cards in their hand, and you start with seven cards in your hand. Yeah. So even if they have a hand of seven Force of Wills, they need to play lands. Yep. They need to play a threat. Yep. They that is already a couple cards out of their hand. Yep. So even if it is a hand of just straight up Force of Wills. There is a way to push through that. Yeah, it's not a guaranteed win. Like, even, like, if you play... It makes it more difficult. Yeah. Put turn so, one chalice, I yeah. force a will, I'm down two cards. You're, the top of your deck will still provide haymakers or threats. And until that controlling player with the force of wills, force of negation, plays a threat, your opponent can just sit pretty like, all right, I'm going to draw more cards. You have less cards in your hands. It's all about card advantage. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like Dirt Horror Arcanist. So, uh, yes, again, and Dreadhorror Arcanist is like a 1-3. Bolt kills it. There's a lot of other... Yeah, a lot. Like, uh, outside of fair decks, you're not playing Bolt. So in the sideboard, you can play Fatal Push, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Creed. So Trophy. combo decks in most unfair decks don't play Creature Removal. So they should, because if they have poor matchups against the Menaces, which is the 1-3 that can recast the Ponder or Brainstorm... What's what's the big deal of like slotting a couple abrupt decays? I mean, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you can't like have <gasps> a perfect sideboard. That's we're, what uh, no, all other decks we're, play. We're going down a fucking very uh, interesting rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because combo decks shouldn't have to like position themselves to deal with the. Why not? Why should fucking uh, the deck decks like uh, turn one Delver, turn two Dread Dreadheart have to deal with this? Because then they have to like slot six main deck spells to try to stop the combo deck from going off. So that's six spells, six cards of the seventy-five in their main dedicated to try to stop disrupt combo. Where combo doesn't give a shit about disruption unless they have Thoughtseize Duress or Unmask. Which, in a combo player mindset, I kind of shifted gears a little bit. And 
I think a combo deck running just fatal pushes in the sideboard or just singleton uh, abrupt decays might not be the answer anymore because so many decks have so many ways of dealing with things. I think more blanket answers of Massacre, Pernicious Deed, or some kind of wipe more... You need your two-for-ones. Yeah, I mean, you <gasps> play, like we played a couple matches of Legacy prior to the cast, and I had a Dreadhorde and a Delver, and you cast a Plague Engineer on Wizard, and basically two-for-one me... Exactly. And my, my like I was hoping to refill my hand with a Dreadhorde... <gasps> And I have a zero two and a dead Delver. Yeah. So, I think it is. It's like you said that sh- slow shift in legacy. Yeah. We're gonna f- find the players that will figure out how to deal with these new haymakers. Yes, yeah. I, I, I do agree. Like I feel like a lot of the legacy players that are so hesitant or staunch against like the changes is because they don't want to change their decks because legacy was internal format the decks are not change everything more than three to four years and one card one card they can buy for like ten dollars or less than a hundred i feel that legacy is being pushed with the fire and it's all watsy with their fire like mantra and all of a sudden now they're going to start buying new cards yeah but again we had uh a burn player who didn't change his burn list and did very well in an event, and he took it down, or went second of like of these ma- magical yeah. magic players with an unchanged burn deck. So y- you don't have to change your deck. You just have to like. Hopefully, the meta changes enough where nobody has any sideboard cards against burn. Yeah. So, but like with sideboard, is there any new cards in Commander Legends that is seeing main player cyber play? I don't know. I mean, like life gate. Life gain seems impossible with like Uro and Oko. Yeah. So I don't know how you could play a burn deck or a deck that gains light. Uh, trying to like. But did you? I can't recall the name. But did you see the new sulfuric vortex that only cost two? Oh yeah. Like, so burn does have the tools to compete with all this new life tank, life gain. So, for it's a two drop. I'm not going to be able to say the name of it, but it's a two drop, and they can pay red, and target opponent will not gain life this turn or something like that, and it's one damage every upkeep to each player. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a way of being on curve to deal with that Oko. If it's a two drop. Even if they're on the draw, they can follow up the Oko in a good <gasps> trade. So Oko comes down turn three. They played it on their second land. Before they can crack that treasure? Food. Food. It's food. Yes. Yeah, sort of Before they can crack that food, they already untapped with their land. And they're ready to pay the one red so they can't gain that three life. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's a Zendikar Rising card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Zendikar Rising. Um, but yeah, so I think every deck, you might have to wait a year or two for your answer to the meta. But yeah. I think everyone will be able to get a little <gasps> piece of that new 
that new legacy power. Yeah, I mean, like what you're talking about DNT. DNT was dead for over a year. And all of a sudden, Skyclave Apparition came around, and boom, <gasps> it is now, it, it was a top eight and a 200 person event yeah. in Japan. The fact is that they're able to deal with their Okos, they're able to deal with a multitude of threats, these haymakers and legacy. Yeah. So eventually, it will equalize or shift the tide to one deck. You wait a year, six months, three months, whatever, and a new card might come around that comes above and like negates that deck. <gasps> yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, so I mean, I, I know in Commander Legends, we're seeing Hull Breacher in the Ears of Blue deck. <gasps> we saw when we were playing in paper uh, today with our masks and our hand sanitizer and our <gasps> face shields that I was able to, uh, what was it, Urza into a, a Hull Breacher? And then Urza into an Echo. Echo. Yeah. yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm going to remember that yeah. forever. Yeah. Hold Breacher into uh, uh, Echo of Aeons. Yeah, it was... It, oh, it, hold, it was it... What was it? Hold Breacher into Echo... Hold Breacher 1 and then Echo of Aeons in second turn. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it was just like game over. Like So like again, Haymaker after Maker. But again, uh, the Hold Breacher is a 3-2, so it's answerable by both Fatal Push if you... I think for Fatal Bush you have to sack, uh, fetch land, but if 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 that if you know that that that's coming or is available in the opponent's deck, you should as a skill intensive player be able to work around yeah, it. Yeah, or sack a Lotus and Fatal Push it. So like you got it. Yeah. Uh, I I I get the remorse and the pushback against legacy players not wanting new cards added to the format. It's gonna happen. There's gonna be new cards that are gonna be OP. That are going to be introduced into legacy and, and like integrated into decks. It's just the nature of the game. Exactly. Um, the, the format has shifted. We're no longer playing Iggy Pop and Zoo. <laughs> What's Iggy Pop? Iggy Pop is an old storm <laughs> deck using ill-gotten gains. Is that why it's called Iggy Pop? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that card does. Uh, each player discards their hand and picks three cards from their graveyard to put back into their hand. <laughs> That's so silly. <laughs> How much does the Ilgon Gates cost? My four, God. two colorless, two black. So you can go Dark Grit, Infernal to LED oh. Infernal Tutor, and then you tutor for the Iggy. And then you just retake the blo- uh, Dark Ritual, Black Lotus. Uh, uh, not Black Lotus, Lion's Eye Diamond, an Infernal Tutor, and then you grab Tendrils the second time around. I gotta see what the art looks like. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. <gasps> yeah, so, like, Iggy Pop used to be the Storm Deck in the <gasps> days of Merfolk, Goblins, and Zoo being the top tempo decks. Oh, wow, against Zoo, against the like, <gasps> Wild Nakatl. Exactly. Kurt Ape. Was Kurt Ape playing in Zoo? Yeah, back definitely. Then? Oh, my God. Definitely. So times have shifted. We got to shift with them. The, the star rating on uh, Wizard's site, The Gathering, uh, I forgot what this thing is called, is uh, uh, four and a half stars. It's worth the five stars, trust me. Sorcery, Exiling on Gains, uh, two colors, two black. Each player discards their hand. Then return up to three cards from the graveyard to his or her hand. What the f? This is not the best storm engine you have ever seen. I would never play this spell, but I believe you that it was a storm engine. I would never have seen how this became a storm engine. 
I, I remember in, in the Urza, like this is the the, the original plating and the yeah. formatting that I saw it in. So the uh, flavor text, Urza thought it's a crusade. I can't pronounce the name. Zancha? Zancha knew it was a robbery. Wow. That's what I remember that. Definitely. Oh, wow. It was oh, a wow. robbery. I mean, I, yeah, but it, it, with the, all these new cards, has anybody bought any new magic recently? <gasps> I myself am not looking for any new magic, but if someone came up to me and offered me a taiga at really good cost, I'd be down to pick up a taiga. That's the one card I'm missing to be able to play uh, the Epic Storm with my collection. Yeah. I mean, the only new cards that I bought is that I had an old like build of Black Red Reanimator, and I have uh, conceded to the new build with uh, Children of Colrus and yeah. uh, Ant. Okay. So, like, I've spent a total of maybe $7 for those two cards, and they're being shipped to add into a Black Red Reanimator. Other than that... No new cards. I don't know how SB has done on his purchases. I don't know if he's bought any new stuff. I'm not missing tokens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> SB's missing the tokens for his decks. I want those tokens for like the uh, Urza combo deck, but that's about it. Like, All right, not bad. Yeah, you 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 invested quite a bit into Magic. You got your LEDs and whatnot at the beginning of COVID, and when like not at the beginning of COVID, but like. Under 18 months ago and whatnot. So. Yeah, in the last, like, 24 months. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I definitely understand that. So, it's hard to break to you casters that are following us. We did not buy any of the uh, secret layers that we were so hyping. No. I do want one of those mountains that my sister painted, if anyone remembers from that old cast. Yeah, but I mean, you probably pick that up for 10 bucks. Yeah, I'm going to get one of those. I'm going to stick with the Beta Islands, Beta Mountains. I, I feel like that's the OG thing for this eternal format. Uh, other than that, like I know we're talking about new legacy builds and like how the format changed. Has that positioned you to change your legacy decks? So, I myself... Uh, so since we're having this new power creep and everything becoming a little better in Legacy, I went back a couple generations and switched into a Storm deck that has been played before Shards of Alara and the printing of Ignazium. It is called Grind Station. It's a type of Storm deck that has multiple payoff spells in it and sure you can kind of split it amongst multiple turns but you can also just storm up to five and then cast tendrils twice because you do run two tendrils in your deck and in addition to two tendrils you run two passive planes and an empty the warrens in your deck so yeah, you do play ad nauseum, but it's only in the sideboard for when you're versing another combo deck and you have to be a little quicker. Uh, but yeah, I kind of went back in time to kind of move forward because that version of Storm is very well equipped to run a pernicious deed. And also it has a very kind of stable mana base so you can run um, main deck decays 
and a cyborg forest without much problem. Yeah, I, I will have to say the cast, like, playing against David earlier in the day against Grind Station, it's the first time I ever saw it. And like, <laughs> I, he, like, on game one, was able to get, like, ten goblin dogs. I'm like, you're just playing fucking Storm. What are you talking about? I was like, no. <laughs> and and sure as shit, like, game two and three... Abrupt decays, pernicious deed, all that stuff. Yeah. All this grindy. And I'm like, how is this called Grind Station? Why is it called Grind Station? It does not run the card Grind Station. No, it is more the fact that, like he explained to you guys, that he's able to grind out a game where he doesn't have to win on uh, casting 10 spells. He's able to do it in two spells or three spells. And he's able to do a longer grind to the win. Yeah. Uh... Recently on Moto, I had even games that, like, I would, echoing truth, their hate piece, they would counter my hate piece, and I would just go darker tendrils. And that's four storm already. That's eight damage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then two, three turns later, I would just go, like, duress darker tendrils. And that was game. That's all you need. Yeah. So... It's definitely a different style of uh, Storm. It even runs Detection Tower, <laughs> which is a land that makes your opponents targetable if they have <gasps> Hexproof. No, I know. I, I, I expect on uh, Detection Station. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in <gasps> that scenario, you're running Grim Tutor, so you have a low-cost tutor anything. So you can tutor up a land... <gasps> Play, put that into play. Oh, cool. You have Veil of Summer? Well, I see you through that. Yeah, I but, can detect you. I've got my lighthouse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I hope you can make that like uh, deck tier 1.5 or 2 or 1 so you can make those detection well, I'm stations. definitely not the pioneer. Uh, there was a, a person, I can't, I believe it was a Max. He got top 16 <laughs> When Cyrus won uh, the Atlanta GP. Okay. Uh, once again, make that deck well known so I can sell these cars that are bought for like 25 cents a pop and like hopefully get to $5 so I can make a profit. Uh, but yeah, please keep on innovating. Play old decks that are new decks that nobody's seen and has no idea how to play around. Um, other than that, like I know guys, this is a short cast. Uh, I know uh, with our future cast we'll have uh, more guests, and uh, hopefully we'll yeah get some like AZ locals to to join us, and maybe SB will be in a better position. He's a little stuffy in the nose and uh, sniffleless. Allergy season is starting up here in Arizona. We got a lot of tumbleweeds out there kicking up some dust. Worse. Yeah. So uh, before we like head out on this cast, just want to give a shout out to all the AZ. Uh, <gasps> Local players that are making legacy inroads. Uh, one being Tony Rulata that has done very well with his post deck. Yeah, into play, killing it. Yeah. Straight up killing it. Hopefully you guys can follow him on his cast, his streams. Uh, fall in love with who he is as a person on top of his gameplay. And uh, understand that post has really haven't seen really a lot of legacy like big finishes, but he's able to piloted that deck very well to be able to make a lot of top eights because of his skill intensive play and his knowledge of his deck letting other people know that legacy is more about knowing your deck and who you're playing against as opposed to just haymakers very true even though 
12 posts is Haymakers. Yeah, I know. It's all <laughs> Haymakers. But it's all about like knowing what to play against, playing playing safe, playing good. Uh, so that'll be the end of our cast in the State of Legacy podcast. This is Sydney. This is David. This is Espy. Join us next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Later. Bye.